AnteUp is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But AnteUp is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. AnteUp, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's November 16th, 2018. You're listening to the greatest poker cast that there ever was. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Uh, this is a really a big deal, or, or what, this merger, if it happens? Uh, well, one, I, it's way too early to say whether it's going to happen, and two, if it does happen, there's a lot of stuff that could happen after it happens, so. Yeah. Uh, what we're talking about, of course, is Caesars Entertainment MGM Resorts International reportedly in the early stages of considering a merger of the gaming giants after Caesars, which owns the World Series of Poker, rejected a merger with a much smaller golden nugget. If a Titanic merger like this goes through, the combined company pending regulatory approval, and that's important, folks. Yeah would have half of the hotel inventory in Las Vegas and Atlantic City, and it certainly would have some pretty big effects <laughs> on poker. So, um, well, okay. So, one, um, it makes sense for these two companies to merge. Both of their um, uh, stock prices are down considerably. So, mm-hmm. combining, they'd be able to uh, take care of redundancies and, and probably get the stock price going back in the right direction. So, that makes sense. Um, but the the kind of mer- these big mergers are all so, always so notoriously difficult to complete um, in any in any industry really. So um, you know I'm not going to hold my breath to see whether that actually happens. Um, the one thing that does make it sound like it's it's more possible than normally is that Caesar CEO is stepping down in February, and he had um, been adamant against merging with any company, so he's essentially a figurehead at this point so you know if they're gonna merge together um now's the time to probably do it and uh the other thing too that's kind of often contentious when two similarly sized companies trying to merge is uh you know who gets to be a ceo right so in this case you wouldn't have that problem um as much so there's a couple things to suggest that it's going to happen um now again going back to the important Pending regulatory approval, almost always in mergers like this, particularly with really big ones like this. And when you say both the company would have half the hotel inventory, both in Las Vegas and Atlantic City, that's the kind of thing that regulators seem to not like as much, right? Right. Um, so normally what happens in this is you have some uh, sell-offs of some properties um, to make regulators acceptable of this. So it doesn't seem like it's too monopoly-like. Um, so I would imagine that's probably what would happen in that case. So it, it's hard to say exactly what the hotel inventory or more to our interest, the gaming inventory would be, uh, for this company. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see whether it happens. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking to the effects on poker, uh, from a, you know, maybe branding standpoint, <clears throat> you know, excuse me, if Caesar somehow, you know, when they merge, if it just becomes something giant like Caesar's, you know, Lion or something, I don't know what they want to call it a company, but, you know, Caesar's obviously going to keep the World Series branding, you know, so there there might be more uh, World Series poker rooms and MGM properties or something like that, or now you'll be able to enter the World Series with satellites and things like that and have more circuit stops at MGM properties and things like that, but a lot of times these types of mergers, the staffs just stay the same and unless they think of it as direct competition or, like you said before, regulatory reasons, a lot of it could just be business as usual other than the name is different. Yeah, I mean, um, depending on your view, uh, mergers like this are are good for poker or bad for poker. Um, You know, what what could happen here is that um, because one company now owns all these poker rooms, 
Uh, they could look to close many of them and consolidate the action in one big room. Right. And um, I tend to be a fav- uh, a proponent of that because um, you have to remember poker is a little different. And we always say this uh, different than a blackjack table or a slot machine, right? Blackjack table or slot machine requires one person. Uh, poker <laughs> requires at least a couple, right? Yeah, a few. Um, <laughs> and really, if you're on the strip, there's not much difference between playing blackjack at, say, the Flamingo versus playing it at MGM Grand, right? Right. Other than just the atmosphere. I mean, the, at this point, the rules are pretty similar. Um uh, you know, maybe you have status at one property other than the other, but so that's really the only thing. Um, but poker's a different animal. So we kind of saw this years ago, and it never really worked. But Caesar's actually tried to create, you know, make Caesar's Palace a big room and uh, kind of consolidate to some degree. Um, there's smaller rooms nearby. It didn't quite work, but um, had it worked, uh, I think it would have been. I think it would have been good for poker because now you, right now you've got, you know, twenty some rooms along the strip, all running one, two, no limit, uh, maybe two or three tables at a time, right? Right. And thirty, forty, sixty dollar buy-in tournaments with terrible structures. Um, so if you can track some of those and make a bigger room, now you have more variety in cash games. Um, you're able to run maybe slightly bigger buy-in tournaments with better structures. And from a player, if you show up there, you have a better expectation of having a better experience. Um, now, the flip side is these are big tourist areas, right? So, I mean, if you are the type of person that uh, you and the spouse go to Vegas for a weekend and your spouse uh, makes you uh, shop and go see shows and eat expensive dinners during the day and then he or she goes to bed and then that's what your poker time is, right? You know, and and all you care about is playing one through no limit. Uh, what's going to be better for you to take the elevator down seven floors and pop into a small poker room with a one-two game going, or take seven the elevator down seven floors, have to cross the street, cross the strip, <laughs> and walk north or south for a big blind, or I mean a big block or two uh, to find a bigger uh, game that still has one through no limit, right? And a waiting so, list. Yeah. So, you know, a, we, everybody's probably got a different opinion on this. So, I mean, a lot of it just depends on what you're looking for in it. Um, you know, uh, I, I, it, what's interesting is I don't know what would really happen with the circuit if this went through. Um, you would think now MGM properties would be in line to, to host um, circuit events, and that would be good, you know, if you live elsewhere um, outside of these two areas. Um, you know, like an MGM Springfield would now probably be in the market for a circuit event, which obviously would never happen right now. Um, but the circuit schedule is so packed right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I, there's no real openings in it anymore. Um, so, I mean, some non-Caesars uh, properties could be sacrificed to host uh, MGM. Um, but, you know, Caesars, I mean, Caesars is charging a pretty pretty strong penny uh, to those rooms to um, host a surrogate event there. So that's money in their pocket. Whereas if it's a room that they own, you know, maybe that money comes from that property and still goes in a different pocket, but it's still all in the same pocket. Right. So there may not be an incentive really to, to add MGM rooms to the circuit. So a lot of, a lot of stuff we don't know, Um, but it certainly would be a game changer in some sort. I just don't know what game is changing and how it's changing right now. Right. Oh, very and interesting. Happen, so yeah, and like they said, they already shot down one with the golden nugget. So you know, you never know. But uh, uh, big news. Stay tuned. All right, and Poker Stars is ready to launch its latest poker variation called Fusion. The game starts like pot lim and hold'em, with all players getting two cards in a round of betting. The maximum bet being the pot. After the flop is dealt, all players get a third hole card. After the turn, remaining players get their fourth and final hole card. And the game finishes like Pot Limit Omaha. I'm sure you've uh, poured over this and given your complete attention to uh, strategy on how to play this game, right? I have not, no. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, it's going to bring a lot of people to the at least the flop. You know? Yeah, yeah. You, you uh, know, 
<clears throat> when you get the four cards in Omaha, regularly people see a million hands in it. I can only imagine when you only have two, you could think of what the potential would be that you could get after the flop and getting a third and a fourth card. So everyone's going to play every hand probably from the beginning unless it's really bad. What I think is most fascinating about this, it's the exact opposite of what people thought when, when they first started whispering that this version was going to come out, right? Mm. Exact opposite of what people thought. <laughs> and it's the exact opposite of what you would think would be an action-inducing game. So, you know, the reason people like Crazy Pineapples, you start with three cards, right? right. Uh, or Tahoe, you start with four, and you have all these possibilities, so it makes it impossible, or seemingly impossible to fold, because you have all these possibilities. And the good players know that, that that's a problem. So by the time the other players have realized that by the turn they've already chunked a bunch of money into the hand, right? Here you're starting with two, so, you know, I, I think it it seems like it would work in the opposite, right? I mean, maybe you're holding on, hey, maybe the same players are like, hey, if I get to the flop, I get a third card, and that's going to change everything, right? Yeah. Um, or, or, or if I get past the flop, now I get my fourth card, and that's going to change everything. Um, but it seems like that's counterintuitive to me. Maybe I'm wrong, but... Um, I think the action, it'd be more of an action-inducing game if you started with four and whittled it down, but then again, that's a completely different game. That's, you know. Um, but I, I do think one of the other interesting things, too, is it becomes Omaha at the end, right? So if you have, um, you know, you, you can't get excited about one-card flushes now because by the end of the hand, that's not going to work. <laughs> right, so, you're hoping you get dealt that spade right. to make yep. that flush. <clears throat> um, if you don't get it, then that's not going to work. So, I mean, if there's already a flush on board and and you hold the ace but not another card, um, I mean, you still have blocker potential there because, you know, you have the nut, depending on what, what the other cards are, but right, you can more likely it. the ace high. <laughs> um, so, you know, somebody else doesn't have it, but you don't actually have it <laughs> until you pick up that other card. So, um, I don't know. I, I always like these variations. I like the fact that PokerStars uh, is continually working in the lab to come up with new stuff, and they give everything a try, and if people like it, they keep it. If not, they chuck it and um, try something else. Um, so I, I think I would enjoy playing this, um, or at least trying to play it and see how it plays out. Um, but again, with all these things, I don't think you're not going to reinvent Hold'em, I don't think. So... No, I think, and I think from a strategy standpoint, I would uh, approach it like Hold'em. Uh, obviously, if it's not a good Hold'em, man, I'm not going to play it. Which is basically how I play, you know, I, I, I might loosen up just a little on, like, position maybe, just because knowing that by the end, you know, I I may play a hand that I wouldn't normally play in that position if it was just Hold'em, knowing that I'm going to get reinforcements later, and that it's a pretty decent starting hand now, and it's only pot limit, so I'm not gonna get you know overly overbet out of the pot or whatever early on so from a strategy standpoint i think just sticking with hold'em rules and loosening them up a little bit is probably the way to go and then you can only get better because at the end you still only need two cards so i think that some sort of suited ace is going to be key in this game um you know especially because it gets to be omaha later and you might have the nut flush at the end or um you know you might pick up two pair at the end and so i mean i think I think that's the way to go, um, and then just I, I, I think I would loosen up though. I wouldn't I wouldn't be super tight in this game because there's so many limiter limiters in here that help you be loose. You know the the fact that it's you know there's going to be a fourth card later, a third card later. The fact that it's pot limit I think allows you to kind of relax a little bit, but at the same time you should really stick to sort of a a group of hands that you know you you that you could win with by themselves or can potentially be huge by the end of that hand um, yeah i think you got to start with a two card hold em <laughs> hand that has omaha potential yeah that's, that's interesting i think if you think about it that way right so yeah. you know any two cards um aren't going to win so much in omaha you know you need to have those those higher cards so you know you had the best flush or you had the best straight or the best two pair or the best set um so uh <laughs> You know, it, it, the other interesting thing about the game, too, is it takes some of the frustration away from Pineapple, right? So every time we play Pineapple, everybody's had this experience at one point where, you know, you have to, you don't know which one of the three kids to get rid of, right? Because, you know, are you, do you keep your maid hand or do you go for the flush or the straight or maybe you're going for a flush and a straight, but one 
you got to get rid of card, and that means you have to make a decision on which way to go. Um, and that's part of the reason some people don't like to play because it's that, that that frustration, right? Right. Um, here you don't have that, but the frustration's kind of hidden, I think. You know, because if it ends, you have to end up with that Omaha hand, and depending on what happens on the on the turn in the river, both with the last card you get and then what those turn and rivers are, um, it could make it frustrating. You could go from a really good hand to a nothing hand <laughs> at the end, which yeah. I think goes back to what you just said, uh, is that you know if you start with a two-card Omaha hand, um, your frustration is going to be limited to some degree. Uh, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier because I was confused. You said Tahoe, you got four cards. I thought Tahoe was you got three and you kept them all, whereas, but you yeah, still can only play two. Uh, there's another variation where you have four. It's re- okay, but we never played that in the home game. That's why I was curious. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so that would be what you throw away on the flop and the turn, and you're stuck with two at the end? Uh, actually, now you've got me all confused. It's been a while since I played Tahoe. I thought Tahoe you did get four cards. Uh, maybe I think Pineapple, Pineapple, you keep all three, right? No, pineapple is you, you. You discard before the flop. You discard before the flop. Crazy is after the flop, and then Tahoe is you get all three, but you have to play. You could play one, two, three, or zero. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But that's you get right. to keep all three. So but you I, get the home game going again. So I I'm not <laughs> home game. What's that? I have no idea. What that is. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I think it might be interesting. So maybe yeah, we get that home game going. We'll play all those games again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then, play fusion. Uh, fusion here. Uh, the pot limit's also interesting too because. You know, if you are if you're not a pot limit Omaha player, it's difficult to transition. I think to pot limit uh, hold'em, uh, which is a game that almost no one plays, right? Yeah. So those first couple streets are going to be interesting in the betting. Um, so you have somewhat limited in your uh, you, know, you can't do the all in move, right? But uh, pot limit's deceptive in that people tend to bet more in pot limit because oh, I'm capped at the pot. All right, I'll bet the pot. Right. You don't. You rarely hold them. Get somebody to say, "I bet pot," right? So, um, so there is a, an adjustment there that you have to, um, you probably have to make in this game if you haven't played PLO before. All right, uh, well, just in time for all your holiday shopping, AntiUp has partnered with uh, T Republic to open a new online storefront where you can get AntiUp logoed merch. Visit uh, tpublic.com. That's T E E public.com slash stores slash anti dot dash up. One more time. Anti-up.com <laughs> slash stores slash anti-up. Wish we could make that easier. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, once you get there, if you make it there, uh, you can check out T-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, phone and laptop cases, coffee and drink mugs, and more with your choice of the Anti-Up magazine, Anti-Up PokerCast, or Anti-Up Poker Tour logos. And we'll be rolling out new unique designs soon, including Anti-Up Poker Cruise stuff. Um, and uh, for a limited time, uh, I don't know if it's the sale's still going on or it's getting ready to start. A new one's getting ready to start, but there will be a sales leading up to Black Friday there um, with deep discounts. So go again and check it out again. It's tpublic.com slash store slash anti dash up. Look at that. I nailed it on the last one. Finally. Just needed some practice. <laughs> uh, any uh, updates? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about it or if you want to move on to any updates. No, I just uh, I just want to say we we've done the anti up logo store. We've had that up for a long time for embroidered um, merchandise. So if you're still looking for that, you can go to our our website antiupmagazine.com slash shop and get to there. Um, but uh, we've never been able to do any up tour uh, merch before. Haven't really done any up pokercast stuff since we had that crappy cafe press store back in the day, right? Back in the day, yeah. Uh, um, so uh, you've got a lot more stuff that I think people really want in this store. So um, go out and check it out. My mom yeah, still, my mom still has the old black and gold Annie Up clock hanging on oh, yes. on her wall from uh, the Times days. Unbelievable! And I still have right right here next to me now is the Annie Up mouse pad. Blogs up no blogs slash poker. That blog no longer exists with the little TBT chips and everything. Yep. That's still over here on my mouse pad. That's crazy. Well, I hate to break it to you, but there's no mouse pads on the TV. TV, TV. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, any updates? If you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent AnyUp in your home area, apply at AnyUpMagazine.com slash ambassadors. We have an immediate opening in Michigan. Uh, we love hearing from our fans. If you have a hand of the week, listener spotlight, or call the floor submission, email us at podcast.AnyUpMagazine.com, or you could post in the AnyUp fans group on Facebook. 
<clears throat> each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiatmagazine.com, and if they haven't learned something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call of the Foreign Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is set up of J-Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Annie at Poco Cruises, available at classicplayingcards.com. Comes from Michael Udkiss. He says, uh, I was playing 2-5 and had about 700 bucks when I got the following Mike McDermott-esque hand. I was dealt 8-9 of spades and am the big blind or under the gun. I either call or raise or limp with uh, four players in a pot. I see a flop of jack of spades, four of diamonds, deuce of spades. The turn comes a seven of spades, giving me a flush. I believe I bet out and got one caller. We are heads up, and the river is a ten of spades. I am praying the other player who has position on me has the ace of spades. I coolly bet a modest hundred bucks. He raises a three hundred. I think momentarily and shove. He calls and confidently tables his ace of spades. People to my left say, do you have it? And I show the straight flush, doubling up. While I remember this hand very clearly from the river on, I can't remember <clears throat> the early betting stages clearly enough to tell the story perfectly. Do you have any tips for remembering hands uh, after they occur? Perhaps the adrenaline of this hand was to blame, but I cannot even submit this for hand of the week since I cannot remember the details accurately. Yeah, I think most of our listeners probably are doing the same thing when I read this. So like, uh, why are you saying this? I know. You don't. You don't know anything here. I know. And then, oh, okay, I get it to the end. Um, so, um, I don't know. I, I'm probably – I apologize. I didn't have good advice for this. I, I would say uh, the only thing I can suggest is just get the habit of writing down hands, uh, recording hands after they happen as practice, and then you'll do it for all your hands, whether they're exciting Mike McDermott-esque hands like this or run-of-the-mill boring hands. And um, I was never one of those people that took a notebook and did all that, but – it's gotten easier now. Now with, with smartphones and things like that, it's really easy to, to bang out that kind of stuff in between hands. Um, and then that way you, you have it for posterity going forward. But uh, other than that, I don't have any good tips. Maybe you do. Uh, I got two words for him. Ginkgo biloba. <laughs> Helps with uh, memory retention. And No, actually, uh, we have a series running in our magazine, and I think uh, this December issue is the final part in it. But I think... Uh, our strategy columnist Mark Bremmer had written a series on record keeping and and keeping track of hands and things like that. And if you get, here's the deal: you never know when you're going to get that straight flush or that hand of the week they have to send in. So you have to be diligent to keep track of every hand. That way, you, you get in sort of a habit of doing it, and you don't forget even when it's these huge moments like this when you want that hand of the week for us or or for whatever show or whatever you're listening to. So I think that it basically, if you get in that habit, and it's usually just on your iPhone or you know, there's, there's apps out there, too, that you can <clears throat> plug the stuff in every hand as you're going and then keep track of your records and stuff. You know, they have those apps for bowling, too. I have a bunch of guys in my league that record every single shot that they've done and what they left and why they left it and all that stuff, and those apps are out there. Now, if you can think of it, it's probably out there. So if you get into that habit of keeping track of every hand and analyzing your play or something, then then you'll get it. Me, I don't play that often anymore so i don't keep track of my hands but if i were to play a lot or if i wanted something like this where i wanted to be featured on a show or something or come up with a hand that i need help with i would keep track of all my hands and that's how you, that's how you'll find them so really you know ginkgo biloba and uh get a good app for your pad ipad or your iphone or whatever you got uh the other thing i'll say too is uh i, I while i hope and wish for you to have many more mike mcdermott-esque hands as long as i'm not in the hand with you yeah Reality is is uh, uh, remember what you can of this one because it's probably not going to happen very often. Yeah. So, um, and uh, you'll have no problem, I'm I'm sure, uh, remembering the exact sequence of every hand where your aces got cracked. It's funny because he says I either call or raise or limp, and it's just funny like that. He, yeah, if he if he would be the big blind or under the gun, he probably wouldn't have done that with eight nine. So he's probably in the big blind. Um, and he bet first, so he's probably into the gun or big blind. So that's right. But I would bet he's in the big blind if I had to guess. Um, and I'm also going to suggest that maybe Michael was a uh, Cub Scout, we both Boy Scout out there, right? Because if not, um, unless you're retelling the story to people in the hand, none of us were there. <laughs> right. So you could have so made up stuff. Just, why not just uh, decide, flip a coin? You don't even have to make it. You don't even have to make it more dramatic than it is. Just flip a coin and say, "All right, I was in the big line." Okay. Yeah. And then. 
So are you suggesting our readers, our listeners, I mean, lie to us? and Just flat out lie, yes. Tell us fake news? Yes, exactly. Very good. (laughs) No one's going to be harmed in the uh, retelling of a poker story. (laughs) Find yourself in a situation in your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast.andyatmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize, a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. Comes from Sean Isk, uh, could be Isk, could be Isky, <laughs> from Eden Prairie. He says, I was listening to another poker pot. What? That's a different right. What? It happens. And a listener said his Pennsylvania poker room's dealers were no longer announcing the size of bets or raises or even breaking down a stack of chips unless a player asked. The player said when he asked a shift manager why the change, he was told some players had complained the announcement of bet sizes was affecting the action, and this is how they do it in Las Vegas and in the TDA rules. That's all right, Sean. We we uh, we, we know there are other lesser podcasts out there. Yeah, that you we to we forgive you. With the, every once in a while, we do a 20-minute crappy show on the cruise ship, and you got to go get your pick somewhere <laughs> else. So. Uh, and, you know, the I could be silent there. It could be Sean Ski. That's true, too. Or the E could be silent. Sean Isk. All kinds of things could be happening with this Man, name. Scary. All right. Elliot says, uh, this issue was discussed briefly, but no rule or recommended procedure was added to the TDA rules. It is the dealer's job to announce bets and raises when they are made. It is not the dealer's job to announce a specific amount of every bet on the layout every time a bet is made. The only person who may, may request to know how much is a particular bet is is the person whose turn it is currently. Dealers should not be breaking down or otherwise touching bets or chips until a betting round is completed unless a valid request for a bet amount is made uh, by the person whose turn it is. In many cases, the bet will be easily readable and will not need to be broken down for clarification. In other spots, players will see enough chips to act without the benefit or need of a specific amount. Dealer automatically counting down bets in these spots is merely wasting players' time and their own effort. This procedure originated in the big cash games that used high-denomination chips, The players universally did not want the dealers touching the chips unless the pot was being assembled. I agree with these players. The chips belong to the players and not the dealers, and hands off. In practice, this leads to more hands being dealt because players are paying more attention and dealers are not interfering with the action except when necessary. Yeah, Yeah, sounds right. Well, I I think there's the one interesting little part of this that's missing, though, is that uh, because I watch, obviously, when I when I go to the NF tour events and I'll watch a lot of final tables now and uh, um, or even lead up action and every once in a while when I see a dealer just cut down the chips without anybody asking I kind of cringe a little bit because they're not supposed to do that right as right. Elliot said um, with one exception I think um, when it's a close um, amount I, I think the dealer needs to confirm that it's actually a raise can't just say raise if they don't know it's a raise right so right right so in those cases, I, I, I will give a pass to the dealer when they have to make sure that it, it's actually raised before that. But even in that case, I mean, they cut down the chips so they count themselves, but they're not saying they should not and often don't say the actual bet amount. They just say raise until someone asks. But but if you're an astute player, you could actually watch the cut down and maybe get a better idea of it. But again, that's somewhat semantics in that um, at that point. Um, but I, I was I was taken back by one Sean said that the ship manager there said it was in the TDA rules. Cause I, I remember this as, cause I sat next to Elliot during the TDA. So I mean, I remember this discussion, but I certainly didn't remember a rule being made. And so it's quite possible that that shift manager or somebody in charge of that room misunderstood yeah. the discussion for being a change or decided, Hey, I like that. And that's what we're going to do. And miscommunicated to the staff. So, um, interesting discussion, but yeah, Hey, we get to complete O'Malley's move today. Always exciting when we can do that. Uh, we'll refresh our memories here with part one, and we'll see you on the other side. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. We're still playing $2, $3, no limit hold'em at Harvey's in Lake Tahoe. It's about an hour into our four-hour session, and we sit with around 200, down 100. The blinds post, and we get two callers to us on the button with the seven of spades, seven of hearts. I know many people would raise here, but I like a call and then to play position after the flop. I don't want to bloat the pot with a medium pair. The small blind calls, but the big blind makes a $15 raise. We get one caller, and it's back on us. 
Okay, I'm ready to set mine. We call the 15, and with about $45 in the pot, three-handed, the flop is the 10 of spades, 6 of hearts, 6 of diamonds. Not a horrible flop for our hand, but the under-the-gun is going to bet out here. He makes it $30 to go. This player seems to know what he's doing, but is miserable. Everything sucks. He always gets sucked out on. Everybody sucks but him. Mumbles under his breath. You know the type. He started the hand with 300 I think this is a good time to float. We can call this bet and then take control of the hand if a scare card comes on the turn. If not, we have two outs that can improve our hand immensely. We call. There's around $100 in the pot after the other player folds, and the turn is the king of clubs. Our opponent checks to us. So, we've invested $45 of our $200 stack. Is this the scare card we were waiting for to take the pot away? Are we value betting? Are we being set up for a check raise? What's the move? All right, we have to play our position here. Share and under the gun, pre-flop, limper is always dangerous, but I'd rather find that out now than on the river. Uh, he also might have taken a stab at an odd flop to see if he could pick it up, and is now waving the white flag. I don't want to give him a chance to change his mind on the river. Uh, looks like there's about 100 bucks in the pot, so I'm betting 50 bucks. Yeah, I'd probably bet around 62. I, I Not 62, 60 also. <laughs> Uh, that check could be tricky, but it's been sold to me by the description that he's a defeated player giving up and scared, so uh, I'm going to take a stab at it and uh, keep control of the hand. Um, yeah, it's funny, too, because um, what did you say? You said uh, that a pre, the preflop limp could be ch- – but it's weird, though, because when somebody raised after the preflop limp, you limp. The usual reason you do that is because you hope somebody raises behind right. and then re So I'm not giving this guy credit for a really big hand either. That was the other thing I wanted to say. So Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, so I think we're we're ahead here and we should bet. So here we go. Here comes part two. Hello again. I like this card. If our opponent had something like ace-king, he would have let out at this turn. If it's something like ace-queen, queens, or jacks, we might be able to get him off his hand. We have 155 in our stack, and the pot is right around 100. We're going to make a $55 bet to make this look like a value bet. Our opponent quietly makes the call. Uh-oh. The pot is just north of 200 and our fears subside as the seven of diamonds hits the river. Our opponent once again checks. We put in a $50 value bet, not thinking we'll get much more. Our opponent calls. We table our sevens. Nice river, he says. I had ace-10 suited. But he doesn't show it. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying sometimes you get there. No need to feel bad about it. What do you think of our opponent's play here? I hope to see you on the felt. All right, I think uh, he asked what, how our opponent played it, and I think our opponent's mistake was checking the term. You know, he's under the gun. You have a lot of power there even when you limp. Uh, he liked the flop but got scared on the turn when instead he should have doubled down on confidence. Had he bet there, we might have folded. Yeah, you know, he was having a bad day, and this is scientific proof that bad days only get worse when you play hands out of position. You don't keep control of the hand when you can get it, and then play ace-10 the Casenza under the gun. <laughs> you know, stupid, though. Well, there's a reason why you're having a bad day, buddy, and that could be it right there. Don't play ace-10 <laughs> under the gun, and if you're going to hit the top pair with top kicker, bet it. Uh, uh, but, but no, yeah. there's some psychology involved here as well, too. I mean, if... if, if... <laughs> Obviously, O'Malley knew that this guy was having an absolutely miserable day. Um, and if other players knew that as well, too, that's when you have to pounce, right? Because those are the players that are going to, like, when you raise them at any point, at some point, or if that turn card comes and completes the flush or straight, whether you have it or not, that's when you can raise and get them off the hand, and they're going to get really upset and fling the cards across the table. I can't believe I lost another one. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's one of the reasons that you need to keep your emotions in check at the table, so players can't take advantage of it like that yeah that's the uh playing the player in this case and the cards in this case but yeah playing the player when you know somebody's in that sort of defeated mode you sort of can really get all their money it's it's a sad state of affairs but they're adults and they're they're at the table so they deserve to be treated as such absolutely all right, sign for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antietmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Vic G, back in the house, Chris. All right. Which means he's going to win this hand. <clears throat> he's going to win the hand. He's going to school me doing it. <laughs> oh, we kid. We kid because we love, right? Yeah. All right. So as I'm playing a nine-handed, one-two, no-limit holding game at the $400 max buy-in at his local Florida poker room, 
Uh, we started a new table about an hour ago and have an interesting mix of players. I'm on the button and have the table covered with my starting stack of 400. Uh, that means the house is won every hand, right? Jeez. <laughs> Here are the cast of characters in his hand. The small blind is an older guy who has tilted as he lost with pocket queen three times to a maniac. The big blind is an older player who bought in for 200 and has been overplaying his hands. He sits with squiggly 100. Under the gun is a talkative middle-aged guy who likes to call out hands while actions pending and was stacked once. Under the gun plus one is a quiet player who hasn't played many hands. Middle position, middle-aged woman who seems fairly new to poker and only plays ABC. Uh, Lojack is a young guy who has chipped up slowly and only opens pots with big aces of pairs. He sits with squiggly 300. Hijack's an older foreign guy who plays a lot of speculative hands and doesn't like to fold. And the cutoff is the maniac at the table who plays any two cards and will raise when he senses weakness. He sits with squiggly 375. Okay, wait a minute. Now, I want to say one thing. We need to give Michael Udkiss Vic G's contact information <laughs> so that he can explain to him where he gets all these details from. I mean, every he basically knows like what underwear player in C3 is wearing. So maybe a little tip from Vic G on how to do it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a crazy it. detail there. <clears throat> I'm never going to remember. I didn't even write it all down. I'm hoping that it narrows down to like one person later and they can ask you who it was I, again because there's no way. That I is the most impressive description of the everybody at the table as we've ever gotten. It's so, crazy. I, I know you're kind of half joking there, but uh, but yes, Michael, you should check with Vic G because he uh, always has every detail about every hand. So. Yeah, ask him on uh, the Andy Up Fans group. There you go. Yes, exactly. Facebook. Uh, all right, so he says it's folded to the young guy in the low jack, and I'll remind you, he's a young guy who has chipped up slowly. Open, open, pause with big aces or pairs. Okay. Uh, he opens uh, for a raise of $12, which Vic says is this, is, uh, has been his standard raise. Okay. Uh, hijack folds, and the maniac and the cutoff calls, and we look down at ace of clubs, queen of clubs. And remember, we are on the button. Um, okay, well, here's the deal, is I generally I uh, like to just call. I don't really like to play ace-queen that much, but we're in position. The other thing is that if this guy is notorious for playing big aces, then we could be stuck with a trap hand here. Yeah. You know, so that's that's something to consider. I don't really see myself ever folding this, but if I get some serious resistance after flopping an ace later, you know, or even a queen... You know, because he could have kings or aces there too. So, you know, that's something to consider as well. But I really don't see myself folding this. Uh, and you said it was suited, right? Ace of clubs, queen of clubs. Suited. Yeah. So, I'm playing it. Yeah. Three <laughs> percent improvement. <laughs> I'm playing uh, okay, it. Yeah. So I, I famously said that I plugged a leak in my game by usually folding uh, ace queen here uh, to a raise. Um, and particularly, I don't like the description of the Razor as opening with big ace or pairs, as you mentioned. So that's even more incentive for me, too. A um, couple of reasons I, I, I might take a flyer on this. One, we are on the button, so we have position. We have a maniac in between us that could alter the action in our favor at some point uh, um, during this hand. And um, I'm also disciplined to know that I'm not playing for the ace or the queen. I'm looking for the flush or the straight here. Mm. Uh, or two pair. Um, so if we get something like that, then I'll continue on. But 12 bucks out of a stack of 400 when I am the chip leader at the table, uh, I'm going to take that shot and see what happens. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's that's right. You have to take a flyer here. You can't you can't fold ace queen on the button. Otherwise, why are you playing this game? You know, Vic's good enough too to know that he's playing the player a lot of times. So it's not just the fact that he plays big aces and stuff. You know, you you might be able to just be able to figure out what he has and then play the opposite of that to make him fold. So. You know, I'm definitely playing this hand in position. So let's see what happens. And I would say if the maniac wasn't in the hand in between us, I might actually advocate a raise here because <clears throat> I feel like the low jack opens only opens pot the biggest of pairs. I might want to raise here and see if I get re-raised, and that way I'll know for sure whether he's playing uh, to type or whether he's um, stepping out a little bit. Right? Yeah. I don't think you can do that with the maniac there because now once you raise, now you get his attendance up, and um, if if the low jack doesn't raise and just calls, it doesn't mean the, the maniac's not going to raise now, and that I don't want that to happen. So I, I think we're probably better off with a more cautious call here and see what happens. Okay. 
All right, uh, Vic says, uh, I'm sure he's going to disagree with us, right? <laughs> uh, Vic says, we have a nice drawing hand as well as position. The young guy's probably head as he usually opens with uh, pairs or big aces. We're almost definitely ahead of the Maniac, but we need to put in a big race to run him off. We also have the blinds yet to act. We decided to call and see a flop. Oh, my gosh. Wow. All in agreement. Wow. wonder where this hand's going to go off the rails. But. Yeah, very soon. All right, small blind folds, but the big blind thinks a bit before shoving all in, making it 106 to go. Action is back on the initial razor and goes in the tank. He decides on a call. The maniac also thinks a bit before calling. Action is back on us. Oh, jeez. <laughs> no. I, well, I mean, I guess there's potential to win more money from the other guys, If but now there's so much out there that it's not like you're going to get them to fold. You know, I think you're going to have to hit your hand now. I, yeah, I'm if folding. we call this, we get one shot. We get a shot on the flop, and, and the money's getting in. So, yeah. you know. You have to hit it big, and then that's just that's way too much of a hit three out of four coin flips for me. So I'm I'm getting out of this hand. There's no, I've only put $12 in. Why am I going to risk my whole stack on ace-queen? You know, I don't know. I'd let it go. Yeah, I, again, I think this is where Rick uh, deviates from us. We knew it was going to happen, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't see the upside here. We have three players um, calling. There's a lot of money in the pot, so that there's an upside there. But um, there's no way, absolutely no way we are in the head right now. So we're going to have to hope for that flop or the, I mean, that flush of the straight. Maybe the two pair, but I doubt that's even going to be good by the time this is all over. Plus, we got more action. Like we said, you know, everybody else is kind of short stack now. The low jack started with 300. Uh, Maniac was 375. And with 400 <laughs> in the pot now. And those people sitting with uh, less than 300 each. Yeah. It's yeah, good. I think like what I said, I'm like, that flop is going to be the last cards we get before we had to commit. Uh, not the rest of our stack because we're the ship leader, but um, somebody else is going to go in on that flop. So. Plus, it feels like the reason the low jack just called is that he wanted someone else to call. Possibly, yeah. Which yeah. means he has a huge hand, which means our ace queen really has to catch up, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think um, I'm going to sit back and pop some popcorn and watch the fireworks. Yeah, yeah good idea. Part. I have a feeling the is going to disagree with this. Yeah, that's, otherwise it wouldn't be a hand of the week or a situation or whatever. <laughs> All right, says so this is the pivotal point of the hand, in my opinion. Well, I would think it would be. <laughs> uh, with the big blind overplaying his hands, we can squarely put him on a pair. But since he thought a bit before moving in, he probably has pocket jacks or smaller. So our ace and queen should be good if we pair up. The young guy also went to the tank, so I think I could rule out big pairs as well. Uh, with our maniac, there's no telling what he might have. Probably two live cards. If I call and hit, I'd be betting into a dry side pot. Big blind has me beat for the main. I'd like to recoup my money. <laughs> By winning a side pot, uh, what's the move in this situation? We already answered that. Um, one thing I will say is uh, I'm not so sure. I think you mentioned this already. I'm not so sure the young guy is scared here. I think he's trying to figure out the best way to get value out of this hand now, right? Right. He very well could still have the, the exact um, big big ace, big pair of hand that we think. Um, but for whatever reason, would like to bring some people along and not just settle for the uh, big blinds money. So right. right. Could be the other way, too, but um, I'm definitely not ruling out uh, what we initially thought. Uh, all right, so Vic says, with a good hand and position, I decided to put in a small four bet and make it 214 to go. <laughs> hey, you're going to be a better be a grizzly. Yeah, you might as well raise if you're going to do this hand. <laughs> There's no folding or no calling. I mean, it's either fold or raise. Uh, uh, you know, I, I will say this, though. I mean, we, we were saying we have to hit the flop. Or else we're we're out of his hand, or not out of his hand necessarily, but we're going to have to essentially call most of our chips off and, and hope for the best, right? This is a way of kind of flipping that on its side because the other folks are probably thinking the same thing. And now let's just get it all in now. Um, I think uh, he didn't mention the small four bet. Maybe he should have been bigger. Um, you know, maybe now you get the other two out, and then now you're. Particularly if he thinks that the big blind has exactly what he has, you know, a small, a pair smaller than our other cards. Now you're racing for a lot of money in the pot. I, w I would take that race. Well, he's still only racing for the original four. Yeah, but still, I mean, you're quadrupling your investment here. Yeah. Right. Because this raise that we're making now is going to be returned to us there to right. get out. So you're talking four twenty-four in the pot. So three to 
three to one on my money yeah. and a 50 50. Um, I'm not good at math, but that sounds like a good deal. Yeah, uh, and that's the other thing too is he has to be he's he's playing on his read. You know what I mean? That's the thing. He turns and the guy turns over ace ace. You have no chance of making money now. Well, yeah, you're you're, you're hoping for a couple things here. One, you're hoping your, your reader's right, and two, you're hoping that the raise gets those other two people out. Yeah, race doesn't succeed and get those other two people out, then the whole thing collapses. So. Again, you're back into knowing, having to know your players a little bit. So he seems pretty strong on um, thinking that the um, the low jack the initial raiser is weak. So if that's the case, I think uh, shove here would get that guy out. And then the maniac. You, the problem with the maniac is you never know, right? Could have any two cards, and you never know if he decides he wants to gamble or not. So the other thing too is no offense, but this doesn't make sense. This raise. You're telling a story. If you had a hand that was really that good, that raise-worthy, you would have re-raised earlier when you got someone raising and then calling and then, you know what I mean? Why why would you have just called and let that third or fourth or fifth player into the hand when you'd want it to be at least two-handed or three-handed? You know what I mean? Why would you now just simply call and then when it gets back to you after a raise and a call and a call, now you're re- no one's going to believe you have a hand that's better than, than you know, then what you there's no way he's going to think you have ace ace or king king. Well, you know yeah, I, mean? I think that's the problem with the small bet. I think if you shove here, they could still think that, but now they have to call a lot more money to find out whether they're right or wrong. Right yeah. here, it's a, essentially a min race, and with that much money in, if you've got any kind of decent holding, I think you're going to make this call. Yeah, I just don't think that it it jives with his story that he was telling earlier in the hand. If he had a hand that was worthy of all this money he's put in the middle now, he would have raised earlier. <clears throat> especially with a maniac in the hand. You know, when it went raised to 12 and the maniac calls and it gets to him, if he's got ace-ace there or king-king, he's not just calling. He wants to narrow that field, especially he wants to get the maniac out, you know. Um, so to me, it just doesn't doesn't jive with the story he's been telling from the beginning, and that might get one of these other guys to call now, and now you really have to hit your hand again. That's right. Um, all right, so the action is back on the young guy who clearly does not like the position I put him in. After some consideration, he five bets all in. Yeah. Uh, so he covers the additional 108 and has 86 more. The maniac pauses for maybe five seconds before he six bets all in. Which covers 108 plus 86 plus another $75 for the second side pot. And action's back on us. What's the move? I think we know the answer to that. Yeah, I know the answer to that. We poke the bear, and now you got to like fight the bear. No, yeah, now you got to shove and hope. Get it in, and close your eyes, and wait for the dealer to say Ace Queen works. <laughs> uh, all right, um, our hero says with the two all ins, I lose my position that the button afforded me post flop. I'm now rethinking my four bet. Either it should have been bigger or not at all. I agree on both of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's an extra 86 plus 75 for me to call, and I do. We now have a main pot of squiggly 430, a side pot of squiggly 580, and a Jeez. second side pot of squiggly 150. Yes, yeah, so it's triple squiggly. He actually wrote that. Man. A lot of money in there. All right, I'm rooting for you, Vic. All right. Flop is jack of clubs. Seven of clubs, deuce of hearts. You love that flop. I was like, okay, now we've got to draw it on nut flush. Now I second guess myself thinking that if I just called the big blinds in. Big blind's initial raise, I could have barreled everyone off the flop and been heads up with a big blind. Uh, the turn pairs the board with the seven of diamonds. Ouch. Not like that. Everyone immediately looks to the main act for any side that he played some crazy hand like seven deuce. No reaction. The river double pairs the board with the jack of diamonds. So final board is jack of clubs, seven of clubs, deuce of hearts, seven of diamonds, jack of diamonds. Dealer asked to see my hand in the maniacs. He says, I understand that this makes things easier for the dealer, but we all call the big blind, so I think we should see his hand first so he doesn't have the opportunity to muck. Just my two cents. Eh, sorry, it's not the way it works, Vic. Not the way it works. Pots go down the way they go. Uh, I says, I table my ace-queen for ace-high, and the maniac tables queen-ten for queen-high. <laughs> queen of diamonds, ten of hearts for queen-high. He says, yep, he's a maniac, and I collect $150 second side pot. The young guy is next and tables ace of diamonds, king of spades, and we chopped a 580 side pot. And finally, the uh, the big blind shows his six of spades, six of hearts, before tossing them in the muck, and I chopped the 430 main pot with the young guy as well. I was in for 375 and out for squiggly 650, a profit of squiggly 275. Everyone had outs on the river in hindsight. I could have had called the initial 106, but then could have folded out my two remaining opponents with a decent 
flop bet and collected a uh, profit of squiggly 320, but could have gone much worse in this situation. It may also have gone much better. After a check with the young guy, after failing to connect with this big slick, the maniac may have shoved, and I would have called, folding out the young guy and scooping the whole thing. But that's hindsight. Yeah, the ace-king gets out of the way if you just see a flop. The maniac probably gets out of the way with queen-10. He's got no hope of anything. The 6-6, six, six, you know, is obviously already all in. That's an interesting show by the 6-6 six, six when he's got all that action ahead of him. Well, it's not a lot of action, but it's a raise and two calls. Um, but that's a pretty big shove with 6-6 six, six for 106 bucks in a 1-2 yeah, game. That's ridiculous. Yeah. You've got to reevaluate who the maniac is in this game. <laughs> <clears throat> and then, you know, he got lucky. I think I think you can see along the way, even Vic himself pointed out the mistakes he made in this hand. I think that, that raise, when it got back to him after the shove, I think was a mistake. Um, you know, he ends up making pretty much the most money he can make out of this hand, uh, other than getting the ace king to fold somehow. But then he wouldn't have that huge pot in there, so he probably made the max that he could on this by making mistakes. Yeah, knowing knowing now what everybody's hands are, um, I think really what you wanted to do, you wanted the maniac money in there. So you know, anything you could have done before that that would have got him out would have been costly. I think so. We ended up getting his money. Um. Uh, obviously, we didn't like the uh, low jack being in there with a better kicker than we did, and you know the board paired, so we got lucky there. Uh, actually, we got super lucky there. Super lucky. At <laughs> the chop the pot with him, and then we won the main pot over the uh, the pair. So, um, I mean, I guess there's a lot of ways you can go back and look at it now with, with the hands and how you could have got better. But I think really, I mean, his analysis showed you know a difference of. $45, and it could have gone, as he mentioned, could have gone a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he did run some numbers, which I think is interesting, because not everybody that sends in their hands uh, do this. So I'm just going to read them real quickly in case anybody's interested. He says, uh, pre-flop, um, the sixes were 33.7% to win, ace-king 28%, queen-10 186 and we were last, of course, with 17.4% kind of interesting the queen tended had a better chance than we did i guess because the aces, aces out, out. yeah yep. we're dominated too <clears throat> flop though now we're the favorite to win 44.6 percent the sixes are 34 percent ace king drops to 12.2 percent queen 10 drops all the way to eight percent and then uh on the turn uh sixes are 52.5 percent to win we are we dropped 25 percent to win with 7.5 percent to tie ace king drops to 10 percent to win with 7.5 percent to tie and Queen 10 is down to 5% to win. Yeah, it's going to hit the 10. So we, we took the worst hand, made the biggest bet on the flop, and then ended up making money on the hand. So. Unbelievable. Sounds like a Vic hand, right? <laughs> Nothing like a Vic hand, really, other than the uh, the result. <laughs> Unbelievable. And that was a situation, I guess, although it kind of felt like a hand of the week. I don't know. Yeah. That was bizarre. Yeah. Bizarre. More situation there. Man, he, uh, he gets into it up there. So yeah, Vic, uh, when you can uh, put your process on uh, Danny Up Fans group on uh, on Facebook and let let Mike know what's going on for so he can tell us about his incredible hands of the week. I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music Network.